The Soccer Gambling Podcast is brought to you by Shady Rays. SGPN is teaming up with Shady Rays for Shady May. Get 50% off Shady Rays using a promo code SGPN and then go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash shady for your chance to win $500. We're also brought to you by our Kentucky Derby Contest. The winner gets a $100 SGPN gift card exclusively on the SGPN app. Malassia, Eriksson, Casemiro, Malassia once again. Room for Rashford all of a sudden, and Martinez out to smother. Yeah, really important save, Miami Martinez. Savica in and over. Just managed to find that little bit of room, but couldn't find the target. Ramsey with room and with Buendia on the run. Through it goes towards Watkins, who's down, and Moreno strikes it and finds De Gea in the way. Watkins, I feel he just slips at the worst moment for him. I think Dallow does enough. Searching out someone in red, it drops to the feet of Sancho. Plenty to look for, including Casemiro, who lifts it. And the bar helps Aston Villa out of a hole. Casemiro's header releases Rashford, and three look to catch him. Martinez with the save, Fernandez. Watkins, Savitsa away, but it's there for Aston Villa, and again, Victor Lindelof to the rescue from a Manchester United point of view, and the free kick goes their way, and there's a big sigh of relief around Old Trafford. Just couldn't understand how Aston Villa couldn't find the back of the goal, brilliant defending, Victor Lindelof. You are listening to Bet MEFC here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow Soccer Gambling Podcast at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can follow Bet MEFC at Bet MEFC. That's at Bet MEFC. Sports Gambling Podcast Network is at the SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. And you can also follow my other Twitter account. It is at LockBettingCom. That's at LockBettingCom. You can also follow that TikTok handle as well. We post 30 to 45 second digestible videos, giving you key betting information to pick out winners. So moving on with this edition of BetMUFC, that was a key win for Man United. Took three points off a potential rival if we did have a slump and uh, got ourselves three points to move us away from Liverpool, who are on a run now 
after yesterday's win against Fulham, they have now won five games in a row, but they won't be able to catch us, I don't feel, if we do get to that 70-point mark because they're not going to have a 100% record. And even if they do, 70 points for me was a conservative guess at, as to how many points that we need. Mathematically, with four games to go, Liverpool currently sit on 59 points. They can only get another 12. So 71 would be the absolute maximum that they could get. We would need eight points from our final six games because we do have two games in hand over Liverpool and are still four points clear. So we would only need to get eight points for it to be mathematically... Well, actually, their goal difference is better. So we would need nine points. So we'd need to win three half of the last six games. And as I mentioned earlier, we have a very easy finish to the season. So this is the difficult part of our running, playing Aston Villa, um, playing Brighton away today, um, playing West Ham in our next game. They're still trying to secure points to stay up. But then after that, the final four games for me are very easy and very winnable. We got Wolves at home, who lost 6-0 to Brighton. We travel to Bournemouth, who are now safe. We travel to Chelsea, who are an absolute dumpster fire and are losing every single game. And we finish at home to Fulham, who have nothing to play for. So I'm expecting us to finish with four wins, if we need four wins. However, anything can happen in those games if we take points in these games, because I expect squad rotation in those games. I want to wrap up Marcus Rashford Bruno Fernandes, Varane, Casemiro, Luke Shaw, all of them, I want to wrap them up in cotton wool and I want them ready and fresh for that FA Cup final. Whilst Arsenal continue to win, which is a good thing for Manchester United, Manchester Manchester City need to put out full strength sides for their league games in order to make sure they win. Now, the problem with that is, is what is a Manchester City full strength side? If they take out Jack Grealish, they bring out Phil Foden. If they take out Bernardo Silva, they bring in Riyad Mahrez. Only Erling Haaland is the forever present and his replacement is Julian Alvarez, who's shown he's more than capable of coming in. Even when you take out Edison, Ortega's coming in and keeping clean sheets. So it doesn't really say too much. It is something that I'm clinging on to. There is obviously some sort of first team there, but you're only really looking at three or four maybe forever present in that lineup. And one of them, weirdly, this season, along with Erling Haaland, has been someone like Nathan Ake um, and, and Rodri, of course, as well. So some of the forever presence won't be the ones that they were previously when you're looking at a Ruben Diaz and you're looking at a Kevin De Bruyne. They have really, this season, only been Haaland, Rodri, Ake and, uh, and Edison in goal. And that's really been about it. Your usual forever presence like Carl Walker and Mares and Kevin De Bruyne. That hasn't been the case for them this season. Although we have seen Jack Grealish get a lot of game time. Statistically, when you look at Grealish as being a £100 million player, you wouldn't really say that he has a, he's had an incredible season. But he certainly had a lot of plaudits from the critics. Whilst, in contrast, Anthony, who statistically had a better season, hasn't had any plaudits and has been labelled by some as a flop signing. Yet, I don't see the same criticism or as harsh criticisms labelled towards Jaden Sancho when Jaden Sancho this season has been less productive than Anthony and we're now in his second season and we were talking about 
him needing a season to bed in and needing to recover from the penalty miss since the since the World Cup. Well, everyone else has recovered. Yeah, Marcus had a bad season last season, but he's recovered. He's been phenomenal this season. Saka got straight back on his bike last year and this year has helped his team challenge for the league. Jaden Sancho is the only one who still has that penalty excuse in his locker, who hasn't done anything and hasn't moved forward over the last two seasons. I'm starting to think that perhaps... Jaden Sancho isn't going to go on to be a Manchester United player. Although I'm saying this off the back of a very good performance from Sancho away to Tottenham. But again against Villa, it was a little bit off the boil. There's no doubt about it. Manchester United do need a striker. There's heavy, heavy links now for, for Harry Kane. It does look like he'll be leaving Tottenham. But it looks like a straight shootout between Chelsea and Manchester United. And I want to talk about this for a second and people will be scratching their heads and wondering why the hell would you go to Chelsea? Well, there's really only two reasons. Obviously, one of them isn't the Champions League because Manchester United would have Champions League. Chelsea would have nothing. They'll have no European football whatsoever. But when you look at that squad, you have to think with the right manager, they will be able to make not only a run for European football, but a run for the title next season. I mean, you have to be able to get something out of these players. He spent £600 million and he already had players there that had won the Champions League just two years before. Add Harry Kane to that and you solve the goal-scoring problem and add to the fact that the reason Harry Kane would come over would be because the manager of Chelsea would be the manager who... Harry Kane liked better than any other manager, Mauricio Pochettino. Mauricio Pochettino, previously linked to Manchester United, was always seen as the reason why Harry Kane would come to Man United previously because Poch was in line to get the Man United job. Didn't happen. Went to Eric Ten Hag. But now he's at Chelsea. Perhaps Harry Kane could go over to Chelsea and link up again with Pochettino. Some would argue that that would completely damage his legacy for Tottenham. And it would. It would damage his legacy. He'd go from a club legend to a hated figure. Probably not as intense as Sol Campbell previously going from uh, Tottenham uh, to Arsenal when um, when he was on the verge of signing a new Tottenham contract. But it would be very similar. I think it would be more understanding because Harry Kane does deserve some success. But would you necessarily get that success going over to Chelsea? So it'd be heavily criticised. He would damage his legacy. But I do believe it'd be one of the two English clubs because he still wants to carry on scoring goals in the Premier League. And he wants to take Alan Shearer's all-time goal-scoring record. In addition to that, one of the other benefits is, is that Harry Kane is a family man. He's just built a brand new home in London. His family live in London and I think he's a London boy who would prefer to stay in London. These are the pros for Chelsea. It would be the manager and it would be home comforts for for Harry Kane. Everything else favours Manchester United, potentially winning a trophy next season, Champions League football, um, a, a, a specific place and guaranteed starting place in the system where at the moment we're playing players to do the Harry Kane role, such as uh, Martial, who's always injured, or Weghorst, who's not even in the same league as Harry Kane, doing that job, whereas Harry Kane is Harry Kane. And he could even do the job where he's criticised by Tottenham fans and by England fans for dropping in and trying to become a number 10, where those teams need a number 9. Harry Kane could drop into that position, play that quarterback role and offset the fast wingers around him, which would be Anthony and particularly Marcus Rashford. And therefore, it's not a necessity for Kane to stay in the middle and to pick up those scraps, which is really what he should be doing at Tottenham. When you look at the the end of the game against Bournemouth, where Tottenham needed a goal and ended up conceding a goal, which spurred Bournemouth onto safety, it was because Harry Kane was dropping into that 
their job was was dropping into that position and wasn't there for the balls that were coming into the box which could have led to somebody being on the end of it for Tottenham to get the win. I'm not saying he's at fault for Bournemouth scoring, but I am saying that when you're chasing the game, Harry Kane shouldn't be in that position picking up the ball. But with what Manchester United are doing, that would be absolutely fine and suitable for Harry Kane to come in and to hold the ball up and to allow the wingers to overlap and break ahead of him. It would not lead to Harry Kane being in any way competitive, I would say, with Erling Haaland, who's just ridiculous, scoring over 35 goals. And it would be more of a 20, maximum 25 goal season if he was to drop off and play that role. But ultimately, he would be a significant contributor to Manchester United. We would score more goals. We would be better. And uh, that is where I would probably see Harry Kane going. I think he would protect his Tottenham legacy. I think he would maybe leave his family in London as opposed to setting up in Manchester and would find a way of getting back as often as he can. I, I don't know how the logistics of that are going to work. I'm just guessing. But I'm also just guessing that he's going to resist the lure of Mauricio Pochettino. And he's going to um, maintain his legacy and he's going to end up going to Manchester United. I mean, he could ultimately stay. Daniel Levy's a stubborn, stubborn man. But do you turn down 70, 80 million for a guy in the final year of his contract who's in his 30s? Or do you keep him and let him go on a free the season after? I'm not too sure how that's going to play out. But the Harry Kane saga is going to be very, very interesting come next season. Because it does look like Tottenham, at best, would be in the Europa League. But with Liverpool going on this run at the moment... It looks like Tottenham could actually end up playing in the Europa Conference League. That's if they can stay ahead of Aston Villa. Both of those teams are locked on 54 points in 6th and 7th. But we'll move on to Manchester United. We'll look ahead to this Brighton game. We'll listen to Eric Ten Hag. Before we do that, let me tell you guys about Shady Rays and Shady May. Shady Rays is teaming up with SGPN for Shady May. Not only do you get an amazing 50% off, but you also have a chance to win $500. Go to ShadyRays.com, use the promo code SGPN for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses, then take your receipt to sportsgamblingpockets.com slash Shady for your chance to win the $500 Shady May contest. Uh, Eric, a lot of sporters appreciated you when you picked up the green and gold scarf at the weekend was that an act of solidarity with the fans who want new ownership no it was just polite but I so I, I know the what's going around what's what the symbol of it is but this matter was just polite and just going back to the away form I think it's just one win against the top 12 teams you've played 10 of them it's just Brighton left to play it's, can you put your finger on why you have struggled away from home because I suppose if you want to be title challengers next season you are going to need a better away record against the better teams no it's absolutely true yeah but it has to do with um, personality and character and that's, that's where, where we have to step up and uh, we have to, to face this and uh, we have to uh, definitely to improve James, Eric, just just on the takeover process, there was a there was a hope that the it would be resolved one way or another by the end of April. That's obviously not going to be the case. It's it's dragged on. You can't influence those plans, but depending on what happens, it could influence what you want to do in the summer. How important in your mind is it that that situation is resolved soon, so that you know exactly what situation you're facing in the summer? Yeah, 
I think it's it's clear what I want, but it's not up to me. It's about um, others in this club. And, uh, finally, I are the owners and they can make the decisions. So it's not up to me. So I uh, do everything I can in, and I influence the, the processes uh, I'm in charge of. So, Do you think people will be, people potentially trying to buy it, they will be very mindful themselves that of the importance of the summer and they themselves will hopefully want the situation resolved quickly to assist you in whichever way they can. Yeah, So, but still I think keep telling you, saying you the same answer. I have, uh, where I can take my influence, I will do, so on the processes. So, but that is not my job, that's not my responsibility. And um, so I don't have also the, the power to influence that. So I'm focusing on to um, improve the squad, improve the team, improve the team development. Uh, so I have to make sure that the team is progressing and I'm focusing on that. You said the aim is obviously the Champions League and you're getting closer to that now. Do you feel this team, this squad is ready for the Champions League? Because obviously you beat Barcelona, who are La Liga leaders, then you went out to Seville. Do you feel that the squad you have now is capable of, of challenging in the Champions League next season? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But, but of course, I, um, uh, I, we see this as a project. And in a project also, uh, it belongs that you are in windows, that you strengthen your squad or to make refreshments um, so that you get more balance. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and you bring up young players in. But um, I think we already have shown and proof that we can beat the best teams in the world. So, yeah, uh, I think we can compete in Champions League, but uh, at the end of the day, we want to be in the winter also in Champions League, and we want to compete and, and knock them all out. <laughs> so then uh, we have a way to go. Can I just ask on Lissandra Martinez, is there any chance he's had his surgery in, in rehab now? Is there any chance of him being fit for the FA Cup final, potentially, or is that completely... Completely, no, no chance. No chance. Okay. Hi, Eric. Um, in sort of this modern era of football, you have directors of football at clubs. Um, but do you think that actually any successful club or team, in the end, the manager has to be the most important football person? So therefore, you, you know, you, you sort of get that power and authority through winning and building squads. So in the end, the manager becomes a bit like Ferguson was here, like Pep Guardiola is effectively over at Manchester City. The manager becomes a sort of not just the manager, he's the sort of chief scout, he's the director of football. So in the end, it is all about the manager still. No, I, I don't know if it's the truth. I think Chiki Begeristein, I think he has a fair... He's built for Pep Guardiola, for that same reason I'm talking about. Yeah, but I think still, don't um, underestimate the role of Begeristein. Yeah, I'm not underestimating it, but my question is, do you think the manager, just by definition, has to be the most important football person at a club because that, that person lives or dies by results oh yeah definitely um, it is true that a manager uh, you have a, you have to back the manager uh, and you have to believe in his philosophy and his strategies so you have to back him uh, to constructing his squad but I think in the end of the day it's always about cooperation 
Um, I think no one can do it by his own. And um, so, and I don't believe that uh, one person uh, can, uh, can do it. And because there are so many jobs and tasks to do, um, and there are so many aspects, and you have to take, uh, you have to take control of. You have to to point. Um, so I don't think one one person can do it. So in the end of the day, it's always about cooperation, and then it's about quality makes a strategy. So you need um, definitely more people and um, and do it in togetherness. <laughs> and, uh, and you can see that in reflection to the to football, to the pitch, because also there, 11 players has to do it in togetherness. Uh, last question, Chris. Just again on the um, on the whole takeover thing. I appreciate that you have no power over what happens next, but are you confident and have you been told that you've had the funds to do what you want to do this summer, irrespective of how it goes and who takes over? No, I don't have. I, I don't have. Um, I don't have influence on that. I don't have. Also, I don't know. Um, so, only thing what I know <laughs> is that Man United is one of the biggest clubs. Uh, I think is among maybe two, three biggest clubs in the world uh, from, uh, say, from fan base perspective. So I think this club has to compete for the highest in the world. So Champions League and Premier League, but then yeah, uh, in football you need funds to construct squads uh, because yeah, in the end of the day it's so that the level from your players um, makes if you are successful or not. But when the whole thing started, I think that you said that you've been told that any takeover would mean more money for you. I was just wondering, as this thing has been drawn out over time, whether or not you've been given certain reassurances that, that whatever happens, and going now in from like May, of course, that you will have the funds that you thought that you were going to have. Uh, again, um, everyone knows you need funds and to construct a squad. And, and high-level players, they cost a lot of money. And that is uh, the nowadays situation in top football. Thank you very much. Yeah, a long one there because it was an interesting one because it talks about the ownership, which we're going to do on the next episode. We're going to talk a bit about that. We haven't really updated what's been going on with the Qataris and um, and the Glazers and the, the the different offers that we've had. Yeah, we've not really talked about that. So we're going to touch on that as well. And we also talked about next season and the potential funding and what it would mean, what new ownership would mean and um, what the current ownership would mean. So, yeah, it's confusing for him. He can't really answer those questions, but he was asked about it. And the journalists are usually quite boring with those interviews. You know, they're always about injuries and... The first question was interesting as well in terms of the record. I didn't even realise that, that we were so bad against the top 12. And obviously that is bad, but it does give you hope that that cannot continue down that path to have such a discrepancy between a home record and an away record next season. So either the the home record's going to get worse and we're going to be in the same position as we were. But if we can maintain home record and improve the away record, we will be title contenders next season. But of course we won't be unless we get those additions, because there are certain players you just cannot have in your squad if you're going to challenge for the league at the moment. Um, they're players that I don't trust when they come in, and the results tell you that. We've had numerous examples this season that when certain players aren't available, Manchester United don't perform. I mean, look at the difference Bruno Fernandes makes. When we went away to Sevilla, we were absolutely 
awful and did not perform in that game. When we bought on players against Tottenham, we, we collapsed in the second half or we looked very, very tired at least. Um, and we shouldn't do because they were rotated players that came on to see out the game. And um, then, of course, we had that collapse earlier on against Sevilla. We've had some hefty beatings where our heads go down when we fall behind. Obviously, Brentford was when Ronaldo was still there. But without Ronaldo, we lost 7-0 to Liverpool. So, in 6-3 to City. So, yeah, these are all things that need to be looked into. And the squad does need improving. Before we look ahead to the Brighton game to finish off, let's tell you guys about Underdog Fantasy. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Best of Mania 4 is here and Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. Plus, plenty of ways to win with NBA, NHL and MLB with the player prop parlays. Head over to underdogfantasy.com. Use your promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com and the promo code SGPN. Let me also tell you guys that it is... Kentucky Derby Week and the notorious OTB brought to you by the Sports Gun and Podcast Network for all your Triple Crown bets. Plus, leave a review for the show wherever you get your podcast between now and Belmont Saturday, June the 10th, and you'll be entered into a drawing to win a canvas print of the Wolves, one of a kind Fallen Bob painting. It's post time. And we have a bonus contest exclusively on the SGPN app. The winner gets a $100 SGPN gift card. So moving on finally to this game against Bournemouth. We'll breeze through this one quickly because it isn't an entirely relevant game in my opinion. It's a a good game. It's a nice game on paper. It's going to be a good watch with both of these teams um, free to to play free-flowing football because Manchester United look safely in the top four. And Bournemouth, they have an outside chance of European football. So I'm sure they'll go for that. They are, though, the 10 to 11 favourites to beat United at home. It's 29 to 10 in the draw, and it's 23 to 10 on United, which means if a team is 10 to 11 to win minus 110, that means Manchester United are 10 to 11 minus 110 not to lose this game. Now, there's a ton of value in that selection. I know Manchester United haven't been particularly strong away from home this season, but should Brighton be a 10 to 11? Minus 110 favourite against Manchester United. I know they've had a good season, but if you look at the league table, you'll see they've had a good season by their standards. We are still playing a team who are eighth in the league, who are two points behind Villa and Tottenham, although they do have three games in hand. And if they do win all of those three games in hand, that is nine points for Brighton, obviously a big ask that will take them into 61 points. And we'll put them two points behind Man United. But Man United would also then have two games in hand on them. But ultimately, we'll take them above Liverpool if they were to win all of those games. And this is one of those games. So it is a decent season. But I do believe that Brighton are being slightly overrated here. They do come into this one in a better form. They've won three of the last four home matches whilst they've won their last two meetings with United. Obviously not including the um, the FA Cup semi-final, which was a draw. The Reds, they come into this one. They've lost six of their last seven visits to the top nine, which is where Brighton are at the moment. They've won just one of the last 13 games against sides who start the day in the top 10. And that could actually be extended to the top 12, losing nine of them. So... If you ride that stat, then um, then yeah, Brighton are a good bet here to win this game. But ultimately, I look at this game and think that you're getting a Manchester United team who are very much used to this this uh, Sunday Thursday dichotomy. It did not affect them too much in the Europa League. I know they exited that competition, but that was off the back of 
one bad performance and a bad finish to one game. So they played 94 bad minutes in that competition. So I, I wonder if United will rotate here. I wonder if Brighton will be massively, massively um, motivated here um, as well. I wonder if this <clears throat> this could go one of two ways. This could end up looking like the the four 0 defeat last season, where Brighton absolutely stuffed us because they came out of the they came out of the gates fast. And maybe Manchester United will be complacent here because, as I said, we look safely in the top four. We have a very comfortable finish to the season, and perhaps the players aren't thinking like I am about being rested and being fresh for an FA Cup final. But ultimately, I'm going to swerve Brighton. I don't think there's any value on Brighton. I think it's scary to take Man United to avoid a defeat here, but I will go for the goals. It's, um, that's a scary one too, off the back of an FA Cup, FA Cup semi-final that did not produce any goals. But I do believe this one will produce goals. I believe both teams can score them as well. Over two and a half goals and BTTS is available for you here at a price of 8 to 11. Even that is a short price. So you can see that it is difficult to make a pick for this game. Anything you think is going to happen is sure. Would I like to get Brighton here at the price of around about 5 to 4, 6 to 5 plus 120? Yeah, that would be appealing to me somewhat because I do feel that Brighton will be the more motivated team. And when you look at Man United's record against the, 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 the top 10 sides away from home, it is poor. Would I like a better price on the goals because I think this will be a different game and more free-flowing and less cagey than FA Cup semi-final? Yes. But again, there's no value in this selection. Ultimately, everything brings me round to I can get Man United at minus one ten to avoid a loss in this game. So it's it's a very interesting price. It'll be an interesting game, although I don't think it will have huge implications in what happens, particularly in Man United season. For Brighton, yes, of course, win those games and you can get on the periphery of the top four, but ultimately Europa League will be their goal. I'm not going to really make a pick here. I think I've uh, given my viewpoints on a number of markets, but I think this is a stay away game for me here tonight and uh, I'm not going to be forced to make a play here for this one. That's it for me and this edition of BetMUFC. I'll be back at the weekend. Until then, good luck with all of your bets as always, guys. And thanks for listening.